Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside, and this week a very special play opens for a short season at Auckland's Covert Theatre. It's called Rehab, and it's based on the experience of Elizabeth Craycroft, a woman who battled alcohol addiction in her youth. I did the following interview with Elizabeth back in January 2021, uh, but an outbreak of COVID in Auckland meant the show's original run had to be cancelled, and this interview uh, wasn't released. But now the show is coming back, I thought it was a good opportunity to share with you some of Elizabeth's story. Elizabeth, really nice to meet you. And uh, this is a new production called Rehab at Covert Theatre in Ponsonby. Uh, exciting. It is. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here and great to talk more about this important topic, I guess, that we're trying to um, start a further conversation with through the show that we created. So Now, the first thing that struck me was it's an unscripted dark <laughs> comedy. We know. We're nuts. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just explain that. How does that come to be? And, and is it that the actors have experience in this their creation of the show so far has just been a hybrid of a bunch of different things. Um, the show itself is unscripted, which is, I guess, for some, a little bit different. But So I've casted the show within the theatre with a bunch of improv actors. Um, and what I've done, like the process I've used is... Um, all the cast have devised their own characters, so I gave them all pretty much a line of, you know what I wanted their characters to be. I kind of wanted to represent people from different backgrounds and really illustrate, I guess, that addiction doesn't discriminate. And the cast have gone away and written their own sort of thorough backstories on each respective character. But in the process of doing that, I've brought in um, a lot of my recovery friends to share their stories of addiction and recovery, just to give them a bit of um, context and information around the insanity of addiction and I guess how to write about that authentically through their characters. Um, so we've done that and we've also basically created our own sort of rehab <laughs> and devised um, scenes. So we have like timed scenes. So each show will have, you know, this group and this meeting and this kind of going on, etc. But the scenes within that will be improvised. So, so there's a loose structure, but then yes. you guys play with it. And, and I guess in a way that's both exciting and perhaps a little bit dangerous and scary. Yeah, absolutely. It is exciting. Um, I've got such a talented cast of improvisers, um, so I do trust kind of, you know, their talent and experience, but it is scary. Um, I think for me it's really, really wanting to get addiction expressed in a really authentic way with integrity and... Um, you know, not take the piss, this isn't a parody. This is um, essentially, you know, characters that hopefully people struggling or people that know people struggling with can identify, you know, and have empathy for. Um, and yeah, it's, but yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think the, the whole process has is, is been like quite enlightening for everybody. I think the cast have learned a lot as well. One of the motivations for you for doing this is because you've had your own battles yeah. um, with addiction. You um, say you're a recovering alcoholic? Yes. So, so what does that term mean exactly? Is that, is, that, is that a term that you will use for the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean, basically it means that, you know, I'll never fully recover from this. You know, my addiction is pretty much doing press-ups in the car park. Um, and... Recovery is something that I personally need to maintain on a daily basis, you know, like 
I go to recovery groups and I go to recovery meetings and um, a lot of it is about personal growth and emotional maturity and, and there's an element of spiritual growth in that um, which is basically based on the premise that once we put down drugs and alcohol we need to fill that void with something else you know like um, when I put down alcohol there was just this like huge you know I experienced huge anxiety and there's this kind of underlying kind of irritable restless discontent feeling um, which is why I drank so um, you know I need to find an alternative to that I mean, if it was that simple, we'd all just put it down and get on with our lives, but it's not. Um, so I kind of believe it's, you know, addiction, and there's been scientific evidence to, to back this up, that it is a, you know, disease, and it's beyond our mental and physical control. So, um, yeah, recovery is something I need to maintain on a daily basis, and I'll never sort of graduate from this. And I'm 11 years sober now. I'm, you know, I'll never get to a point where I'm 20 years sober and I can have a drink. Like time doesn't really matter with addiction. Was there a trigger for you, or is it something that just evolved that you began just drinking, drinking more and more? It's hard to say. Like I, I remember in my high school years, like I went to a school, a private school, um, for about seven or eight years of my schooling, and then I switched schools at the beginning of year 11 to like my local high school, which was, you know, it was a great move for me, I think. But and also at that same time, my parents divorced and things like that. Um, I guess I remember kind of feeling a little bit of a fish out of water at my new school and maybe like, I don't know, like I felt in a way like a bit of an outsider or I just didn't, yeah, feel like I, other people understood me or maybe that was just my own kind of ego telling me that. But I remember when I was 16 and I'd sort of drunk before, but really started when I was 16 and just having that first drink and just that effect was just magical, you know, just washing over me and just that feeling of like freedom maybe, just like freedom from my own crazy obsessive head. It was just, I just kind of felt like I'd found the answer. It was like, well, this is it. (laughs) Where have you been my whole life, you know? Well, well, I think for a lot of people, it's about self-medicating, isn't it? Yeah. And we don't always have the, uh, the language or even the structures to to talk through or work through those it's it's something society doesn't always do that well isn't it it's like well you're a teenager you're feeling this way that's actually normal yeah definitely that's a really good point actually and I mean maybe now there's you know when I'm I'm in my mid-30s now so I'm trying to think back yeah probably 2000 2001 was when my drinking really picked up and it maybe back then there just wasn't as much support for teenagers or just we but what about our culture too though you know that that whole binge drinking element and uh, I I don't drink I haven't drunk since I was 21 mainly I didn't like it so it was easy for me to to, to refuse but when I was um, young there was huge pressure yeah there's something wrong with you if you don't drink and I I know some of that's changed but there's still you know well we're going out Friday night we're going to get smashed we're going you know it's part of the culture definitely yeah it's a huge part of New Zealand culture and I think it is something that is quite unique of our culture as well and I think we tend to um my observation is yeah we tend to kind of move around in packs so it's like everyone in this group or clique or pack kind of drinks and this is what we do like rosé all day or um you know and especially when you're younger or well to be honest I'd argue that that doesn't really ever go away um so I think you when I was younger and really struggling it was easy for me to kind of think that 
everyone was everyone was doing it so there wasn't anything wrong with me but in saying that like I'd have friends that would drink the same amount of as me and my behavior would just be so much worse than them when I was drinking in, in what way what would, how would that manifest um I just changed like I would become like really really obnoxious I would I would do things that was dr- like drastically out of character I would often be out with my friends and I just sort of find the most antisocial people I could in the room and just go off with them for hours or if not the whole night and my poor friends are trying to find me and I was I don't know like trying to hook up with my friends partners and it was just yeah it was very messy and or I would just say things that I would never usually say or yeah it was and and I remember like meeting people when I was drunk and kind of waking up the next day and just wishing that they'd met me when I was sober there was just such a disconnect between yeah. So when when you'd you'd wake up and you'd um, you'd be sober after you know that time, would you you'd feel regret? Would you feel shame? And yeah, just this huge feeling of impending doom. To be honest, it was just horrible. Like I often I couldn't remember. Like I blacked out so many. Like I blacked out a lot in my drinking. Um, and you know I, I'd have friends basically retell me what I did the night before and and that was just horrendous it was like I kind of would always have an idea that maybe something had gone on but just having that retold to me the day before was just you know soul destroying really and then I'd kind of say to myself god okay I've really got to be better next time if I just can't but the insanity of this disease is that I just always think that maybe it will be different the next time right yeah like I just kept thinking okay this time I'll like I won't have any like gin or I won't have vodka I'll just have wine or I'll just have or I'll eat before I like I don't know I would always try and find but then at the same time like I would always I guess find an excuse to throw all of that out the window as well you know I'd be like oh yeah it I know I made all these resolutions after that weekend but you know it was just I couldn't help myself it's beyond my control so obviously there came a point where you needed to make a difference yeah what, what was that moment what what happened or what what changed for you that you thought no I, I need help um quite a few things really like I think by the end of it I'd pushed so many of my friends away like I guess them being young themselves like they just didn't know how to help or support me um they obviously you know recovery in general is something that especially back then like isn't that out in the open like a lot of people may not know that that exists or that's a thing so um, yeah, I guess I was quite isolated and lonely in that sense. Um, my family got pretty sick of me too. I um, was in between, I, I'd moved flats a lot, like I moved about eight times in four years or something. Like I kept thinking if I change the outside stuff, maybe the drinking will get better. Obviously it never did. Um, and I think I kind of left another flat, was living with family, friends, got kicked out of there found yet another flat um and I was drinking by that point I was drinking like maybe half to a whole bottle of wine before work maybe three quarters a whole bottle of wine at my lunch break and then a bottle and a half after work and that was just kind of my norm um and I just yeah was kind of watching my friends graduate and get grad jobs or go on OEs and I just 
it's this cliche quote, but it's like the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of changing. Like it had become, and I was just like, I tried hypnotists, I'd gone to counsellors, I'd, you know, I tried everything pretty much. Like I'd, I'd tried, you know, just resolving to go off it for a period of time and nothing ever worked. Well, when I did stop for a period of time, I was crazy and just miserable. And so um, I'd, I'd been to an, a, a recovery meeting when I was, I think, 21. And I um, had met some sort of, I guess, other young woman that I related to. And I think that really planted a seed for me, just meeting them. Like I, But then at the same time, I kind of went to this meeting and I, I looked at all the other people in the room and, and just kind of I guess focused on the differences between me and them not the similarities like I just you know and again just thought I was too young at that point but yeah by 24 it was just ran out of options um I'd been doing like an outpatient rehab for a few months prior to when I properly got sober and I got kicked out of that because I I couldn't get enough days together um and yeah it was just I don't know, I kind of almost feel like it was just this fleeting moment, moment of desperation that I just ran with. And so you went into a, a rehab? Yeah, I did. I, I actually initially started with an outpatient rehab and then I went into a residential one and I also went into a halfway house for four months. So, so the rehab, how long was that where you were actually resident in the... Um, I didn't actually stay the whole time. I was meant to stay for three months, but I stayed for about, I think, a month and a half. Um, and then I, I actually also had eating and eating disorder I had sort of bordering I would say anorexia um, when I quit the alcohol I just kind of needed something else to control that was kind of switching the witch for the bitch they say <laughs> you know just put, yeah um, so that was a massive issue for me so part of the intention of going residential was also to deal with with my eating disorder um, yeah and in the residential one I was, I was there for four months so yeah, that was just basically um, going to groups and going to other recovery meetings and living in a safe environment with other recovery people. And what what was that like and what, what do you think you learnt? What came out of that? The most eclectic mix of people you can imagine, you know, and, and that's a beautiful thing about recovery, I think. It's just just people from, like, all different backgrounds and, like, all different, you know, drugs of choice or ethnicities cultures like it was just this big melting pot and but amazing and that we all just like related to each other and would bear our soul to each other and it was a just one big crazy family really um and I don't know I I kind of enjoyed it in a sense because it was almost freeing just to be able to be so open about the struggles that I'd had and be able to connect to others that were so open as well um because before that before I came into recovery, like, it was just such a shame, you know, like, no one knew that's about my, well, I mean, people knew about my addiction because they could see it, but I, I never told anyone the extent of what I was actually doing, so I think, yeah, being in that environment was quite healthy for me, yeah. Cathartic, eh? Yeah. Because, you know, in, in our everyday lives, it's all about putting up a front often, isn't it, you know? Definitely. And we're all afraid of being rejected, of being judged, and, and yeah. within our own heads, we're doing that to ourselves anyway. Yeah. 
and uh, that, that's the irony, isn't it? You get, <laughs> yeah. you get into the, this rehab situation, you found yourself where you can actually talk about your fears, your, the things that upset you, the things that make you joyful, all of that stuff in a, in a positive way. But out in the real world, we just trap that in our own heads, don't we? Exactly. And it's all got to, got to present to the world that I'm all okay, you know? Because I feel like often we feel like I'm the only one. Like if people knew like all the crazy shit I was thinking, then I'd just be rejected and no one would like me. Mm-hmm. But I think the cool thing about rehab is that, you know, we're, t- we're talking so honestly about our experiences and our feelings. And I mean, that's encouraged, like we have to. So, um, and you know, connection is a huge part of recovery, like being able to be like, oh my God, it's not just me. Like I've been walking around thinking I was the only one like having these feelings and I guess and I think then it kind of when you realize you're not the only one then I I don't know for me I felt encouraged to address it and embrace a solution and how to deal with that you know and and vulnerable vulnerability too because we are all vulnerable I mean it's what makes us human and how we connect to people so how did you find um, just tapping into the fact that you're a vulnerable human being and you're meant to but it can also lead to problems so did you get some um, something around that as well I guess um, you know for me going to meetings recovery meetings and, and rehab kind of identifying with other people and hearing others that I admired open up so beautifully and openly about their experiences and their feelings and if I'm honest really just seeing that example almost gave me the permission gave me permission to do the same um that was a huge part of it for me um and just yeah seeing others that I admired struggling with the same things that I had I guess um yeah in terms of being vulnerable it was it was hard because I I think the the mask thing would kind of come up and go down and come up and go down like a lot of the time that I was in rehab and um, we would always be challenged on that, you know, and I think often, you know, the, a therapist may address a certain behaviour that I had had and then I would give an answer and <clears throat> I'd be called on, if, if it wasn't sort of a honest enough answer, I'd be called on that and, you know, you know, told that I was basically deflecting and what was really underneath that and then, so really having to just be exposed in that way and then the vulnerability kind of comes pouring out and it's like, oh man, that, okay, that wasn't so bad. Like that, like the fear of feeling it was worse than actually feeling it, if that makes sense. It's like, oh my gosh, if I open up about this part of me, it's going to be like this and then this is going to happen. And I'm kind of interested in asking you if, if you're comfortable with me so, asking you about potentially what some of those vulnerabilities were. But I thought I'd preface it by saying <laughs> um, over the years I've had a hell of a lot of therapy myself. Um, I've, I've never been um, addicted to a substance, but I had a family member who was, uh, who went into rehab when I was nine. So through my own therapy and through that experience, you know, get yeah. some sense of, of what it's like. And I know if I look at the scripts that, were, that have often been to this day in my head that I think I learned as a very, very small boy, it's all you're hopeless, you're not good enough, you're, nobody likes you, you're, you're dumb, you yeah. know. And I could look at my life and think, well, that's not accurate. Yeah. 
There could be elements of that, but it's not accurate. But I've internalized this sense of myself that is really not very flattering. And I would never say that stuff to anybody else. No. So I'm just wondering if, if you feel comfortable, if, if there's something that you can share about what you learned about what was going on to make you want to, you know, blot it out or... And it's okay not to if you don't want yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely attempt to answer that because I think it's really important um, in terms of others relating as well. You know, I, I guess, like, right back when my drinking really took off, there was, like, possibly a sense of, yeah, I'm not good enough, really. I'm not enough. Um, I'm not worthy, maybe, of people liking me or if people like me once they really get to know who I actually am they wouldn't like me anyway like just this real sense of yeah being so hard on myself and kind of thinking like I'm so defected and I've got all of these things but everyone else over there is perfect and and their life is a like think god we didn't have social media back then is you know like because i think it's just so much more magnified now like filters and god knows what but like i think yeah there certainly was that and just thinking and just you know really believing that it's just such an isolating soul-destroying thing i think um so for me i guess like the drinking just gave me such an effective escape from that and it, I guess, took away that feeling of like self-consciousness and just enabled me to relate to others and not have that like kind of those whirling thoughts in the back of my head. It just kind of dulled all of that. As social animals, we have to get on with other people. Yeah. And so it's it's about tempering our behaviour, isn't it? And, and yeah. we're, we're brought up yeah. right from the beginning. We're, we're taught how to behave. And I think... We all internalise that, but I think for some of us, particularly if, if you're more sensitive than other people, it becomes a script in order to survive. Yeah. It becomes, socially, it becomes a script in order to contain ourselves, to make sure we don't mm. step out of these boundaries, we don't piss people off or we don't whatever. And, yeah. And it's really sad, isn't it, you know, that, that yeah. we do this to oh. ourselves. And it, it absolutely is. And I, and I think, you know, like, I mean, if I'd been able to go to a recovery group since I was like five, I think I would have been much happier, you know, <laughs> just being able to relate and I guess talk about our innermost thoughts and, and just work on personal growth and yeah. emotional sobriety, like that would have been great. <laughs> like, but you see, you've brought up a really important point. It's like, yeah. I, I, certainly when I was in school, we didn't really do that. And I'm sure when you were, you know, it's like, yeah. how, how do you, yeah, wouldn't it be more beneficial if right from the word go, particularly when kids enter school, that they're taught how to communicate, how to share their feelings, that it's okay to feel scared or vulnerable. And, you know, because even the bullies, you know, the bullies that you see in schools, yeah. it's only because inside they've got their own script telling them that... They're scared than anyone else, yeah. probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I think you brought up a valid point. Yeah, let's, let's learn this stuff when we're, yeah. when we're kids. Definitely. I mean, I've got a daughter who's about to start school, um, in March and it's something that I that, that I think about a lot you know allowing her to express herself and and I guess relate to the things that she's feeling and, and I'll often sort of um, if she's struggling with something I'll sort of affirm her by saying you know mummy mummy used to feel sad about that too when I was little and this used to bother me and this is what I did and yeah I think it's really important to acknowledge um, children's feelings in that way yeah have you talked to her about your your past and your? Um, 
No, well, she's she's um, four, like she'll be five. She's very young. Yeah, she's quite young, yeah. But I mean, she knows that I do like meetings and things like that, so. So you think it'll just be a natural progression of discussion? She'll ask you a question at some point and then you'll... Yeah, definitely. Like, I think I'll be obviously honest with her about it. I think it's healthy too. And, and, and you know, I want... I think it's just a healthy kind of discourse to have in society around, you know, like around the truth of what addiction is and that there's also a solution through recovery, so... So when you look back now at that that time of your life prior to to rehab, what what feelings do you have now? And particularly if you're looking in the mirror at yourself and what what do you say to yourself about that time? Um, I guess, you know, it feels really sad. It just feels like a a girl who, um, a young girl who had a lot of potential, you know, and I think at school I was always really sporty and camp leader and quite academic and I had a lot of things going on, but I just, um, you know, addiction just completely stripped that away from me, you know, like year by year it was like just that best friend that stabbed me in the back, you know, and I, um, yeah, I just, it feels sad, but I also feel like I just didn't know any other way. Like I suppose at that time I was just coping the best that I knew how to Um, and like having like the disease of addiction is sneaky like that, you know, it's something that if, um, you know, when I was 10, I wasn't like, man, I, when I grew up, I just want to be an alcoholic, like, that would be great, you know, like, you don't, no one does, drug addicts, like, we just don't, um, and yeah, so I think, and I'm just so grateful that I guess it got so bad for me at quite a young age, I, I don't think I came in at 24 with any particular wisdom or you know, great foresighters did, maybe I should stop drinking. I just literally had ran out of options, so, yeah. I think one of the things um, that I'd observe of you is that you seem quite uh, worldly now, Mm. like calm, and you can talk openly about it. Mm. So in some respects, even though it's been incredibly painful for you, it's given you a different appreciation of life perhaps and where and particularly now you have a daughter yeah what kind of role modeling and life you can give your daughter yeah absolutely um i think just you know teaching her that you know authenticity i think is a huge part of recovery as well so i'm like veering a little bit across but i think i really just want to teach her to realize it's okay to kind of go against the grain and not necessarily fit in um that that should be celebrated and I think I guess that's maybe been like a really positive consequence of being in recovery like sort of um and not drinking and and kind of not fitting into mainstream society perhaps in that respect um and I I guess I just want to like a lot of the principles we learn in recovery are, is around humility and, and integrity and, and, you know, owning our stuff, being accountable and all of that sort of thing. So I think I really want to teach her about that and, and role model that for her. Um, and just on what you were saying too, like I, um, I I study law now, like I'm just about to go into fourth year of my law degree and um, it's just, it's really exciting to be able to go into a profession like that with having recovery mm-hmm. um especially I'd like to maybe get into like criminal family and then maybe politics eventually but I just think having that sort of context around addiction and, and how particularly in criminal law 
so much of our prison population is made up of addicts and alcoholics. It's um, just, yeah, it gives me a greater perspective, I suppose. Um, and I guess too, you know, most, uh, well, that's far too generalisation. I was going to say most people. How do I know? But a lot of people go through life never really digging deep into themselves. Mm, yeah. And often yeah. they'll have a midlife crisis or they'll reach a certain age and they'll yeah. think, what the hell did I do with my life? I never actually explored who I was as a person. Well, you were forced to. Yeah. So you've dug right down, deep down and that is actually so right. quite, um, that's quite amazing. Yeah, definitely. Like I think at the time I remember being this 24-year-old in meetings and kind of thinking like, man, like I was living sort of in Ponsonby and all my friends, like, you know, everyone was just kind of out and doing what young people do. And I really felt like, and I was sitting in recovery groups doing moral inventories and it was just, you know, it, but I think now sort of fast forward 11 years, like I have a definite appreciation for like all the work that I've had to do on myself. And, and also just, I think, just being able to have an appreciation for other people like being in recovery groups and and working with other alcoholics and addicts and having them bear their soul as well like I think it just gives you a lot of perspective on humanity and, and the struggles that we have and how to overcome those but doesn't it also give you a deeper connection with those people when yeah. they're not they're not putting up a front it's like this is who I am definitely and that's what I love like my friend group is just the most amazing eclectic mix of people you know like it really and I, I feel so grateful for that and it's always been that way since I was you know since I came in it's just just such a beautiful mix of ages and backgrounds and just everything like it um and but I think that's a thing like you just realize in recovery like we're all people we all have the same struggles and no one gives a shit about someone's job or what they do in the real world it's a great equalizer it's a beautiful equalizer and the irony is, you mentioned earlier that one of the things that was running through your head when you were younger was, if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's actually, well, here I am, and they do. Exactly, exactly. Um, it was almost, yeah, like a divine intervention for that because it was, I sort of don't have a choice, didn't have a choice and still don't. So, yeah, I think, and, you know, that's kind of celebrated, I think, the more authentic and honest we are, the, the more we can grow, right? Like, honesty is a huge part of the growth process and, you know emotional sobriety it's like if I hold things back then I can't work on them like I have to kind of yeah be honest and open about everything because then I can change it so the final thing I just wanted to ask you and I was thinking you know anyone who's listening to this it may be triggering them something in them thinking yeah. oh, I think I have a problem what, what would you say to them I'd say um you know go to a recovery meeting um look into Google Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, CADS, Community Alcohol and Drug Services, and and just go along. You know, there's there's a lot of people. Um, it's it's hard to get to your first meeting, but I think like we've all been there. You know, we've all had to do it, and I think you'd be surprised at how welcoming and inclusive everybody is. Um, and there is a better way. You know. Like, if you don't like it after six months, then go back. Or, or six days, go back. You know, there's, there's nothing beholden on you to stay. It's just you've got nothing to lose, you know. It's, um, yeah, you've got absolutely nothing to lose. And I, I think, too, this is just a side thing, but I've had people that have, you know, that I know, and I was maybe the same, that have been scared to go to rehab or recovery meetings because 
they're scared that people there might know them but then it's like but the people there will also be in recovery so it's like <laughs> they're not really gonna mind. like not that anyone would should mind anyway but it's just yeah <laughs> Well, um, Elizabeth Craigroft, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and all the best uh, with the season of rehab. Cool. Thank you so much. Lovely to chat. Thanks, Andrew. That was Elizabeth Craigroft sharing her experience with alcohol addiction and rehab, which she used to create her play called Rehab. Now, you can find many more interviews, information on the arts and entertainment worlds, LGBT communities, and plenty of my opinion on my website, andrewwhiteside.com. While you're there, why not sign up for my regular newsletters? They're weekly, uh, fortnightly, or monthly. You you choose. Uh, And they're chock full of uh, lots of interesting stuff as well. So I am Andrew Whiteside. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you soon.